You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Tonight, I will be reading from Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Good evening. My name is Brad, one of the pastors here, honored that you've chosen to worship with us tonight. Um, We are honored if you are visiting for the first time. Pray that this has been an encouragement to you so far and will continue to as we uh, move forward. One of my favorite church fathers is a North African theologian by the name of St. Augustine. Augustine uh, lived a pleasure-filled life until he was converted about age 32. And his mother was actually a Christian, so I think he was haunted a little bit by that Christianity. And and, uh, yet he rejected it for most of his early life. And uh, he wrote a book after his conversion called Confessions in which he goes deep and expressed the, the very uh, journey that he was on. Uh, and it's a, it's a really uh, interesting and intimate and honest book that, that really, if you start to look at it and read it, it seems, um, if you think about the other church fathers, it seems really inconsistent with the kinds of things that the church fathers were talking about at this time. Augustine was willing to tell his story, uh, the darkest, deepest secrets and stains of his heart. He, he uh, just expressed them and, and, and revealed them in this book. And really what he does in this book, that's called Confessions, is he reveals the, the deepest, darkest sins of his heart, but then he goes on to show how God has now become both the forgiver of that sin, but also now the greatest pleasure in his life. A lot of what Augustine talks about in this this autobiography has to deal with things like sexual sin, things like uh, just stuff that you and I would have a really hard time with being honest about um, if, if we were to read it. He didn't hold back. He tells the truth about his own heart and says, here's how I got better. Here's how I got healed. And there's a story that many years after uh, his conversion, uh, he was just kind of walking uh, around in an area of town he had, had been in many times. And he heard someone call out his name. And he turns around and recognizes a lady who was a prostitute. Someone that, that he had known in the past. And the prostitute said, don't ignore me, you know who I am. And Augustine continued to walk and she yells out to him, don't you remember me? And Augustine said, he turned around and said to her, yes, I know you. 
but you do not know me. The Augustine that you knew is dead. See, God had made Augustine new. He had changed his life so much so that Augustine turned and moved in a completely different direction. He could look with integrity at this prostitute and say, you don't know me. I remember you, but the Augustine that you knew is no longer around because God has done something in my life. You know, newness changes things. Whether it's a new car or a new job, a new child, a new opportunity, uh, newness in our lives changes the very nature and direction of where we're, we're headed. And Augustine experienced this. He experienced the power of newness. In our lives, our spiritual lives, many of us would maybe say, I don't, I don't know if I've experienced that a whole lot, Brad. I don't know if I would even describe or articulate newness in my spiritual life that, that way. So maybe the question for us tonight is that question, what would newness look like for you in your walk with the Lord? What if the scriptures have uh, some insight for us tonight to understand the way in which there is power in that newness? If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Romans 8. It's where we'll be tonight, beginning there in verse 12. Last week, we found Paul talking about the centrality of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Paul showed us that when we are saved, God implants His Holy Spirit in our lives. And when He does that, the person and the power of the Spirit saves us and then begins to work in us. And as he did last week, Paul is going to continue to talk in our passage today about the results or the implications of that reality. Now I want you to notice in verse 12, Paul actually tells believers first what they are not. Let's let's look there. Let me just read it again. It says, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Here's what Paul is saying. Because the requirement of the law has been fulfilled through Jesus, The debt or the obligation to the flesh that you and I have has been satisfied and paid in full. And now notice in verse 13, it tells us how. Paul says that there is now a new power available to us so that you and I can, and this is Paul's words here, put to death the deeds of the body. Paul is saying you can have victory over your sin in your life. And don't miss this, he is saying that there is a practical connection between the presence of the Spirit and what the great pastor and Puritan author John Owen calls the mortification of sin. Now what is that? It's a, it's a fancy way of saying that when a Christian seeks to conquer sin in their life to the point that it de- they are beginning to be remade in the image of God. They are being sanctified as they do that. Here's how John Owen once said it. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And Owen is not using the word kill lightly. You heard last week, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago, Trey talked about how we're not in a little skirmish with sin in in our lives. It's it's an all-out war. And so what Paul is saying here is a crucial reminder. He knows that even after we become a new creation, our old sin nature puts up a big fight. 
And as Trey said, it's a war. It's not a little battle, a little skirmish. When Paul says, put to death the deeds of the body, he is making it clear that killing sin is central to what it means to be in the spirit. We can't be casual with it, right? We have to put on the armor of God. We have to do battle with it with a seriousness, with a humility. And, and I want to think about it this way. Actually, there's another place where Paul talks about this idea of putting to death the deeds of the body. He, he uses a, a little different phrase to say it, but in Colossians 3, um, Paul says that we are to put to death what is earthly in us. Now, the Greek word for this idea in Colossians 3 it's a little different than the, the, the way that Paul says in Romans 8, but they really fit together really well. It's a, it's a Greek word that means um, atrophy. It's actually a word that doctors use to describe um, atrophy. You guys know what that is, right? The physical condition where body tissues or an organ or muscles begin to waste away because of uh, unuse. Sometimes it can come to the body because of sickness. Sometimes it can come to the body after a surgery. That was something that, that I've experienced, had to rebuild the, the muscles around uh, my knee once because of that. It, uh, the muscles had atrophied. When atrophy sets in to your body, though it's still there, whatever that part of your body it is, that, that part is still there, but it's no longer functional because you haven't used it or it's not being used. And so unless you build it back through physical therapy, it's going to stay withering away. And here's how this applies to what we're talking about right now. Putting something to death, like sin in our spiritual lives, is something that I would call intentional atrophy. Like when you choose to not act upon your sinful desires, while at the same time choose to cultivate the desires of the Spirit in your life, your sin nature will begin to lose its strength. The sin nature will atrophy. Here's the first thing I want to invite you to see this evening. Freedom from sin comes from new affections. Freedom from sin comes from new affections. I just said that, you know, there's really two pieces of what it means to fight our sinful nature. One is we do have to deny ourselves. We have to say no to sin. But we also have to cultivate something else in its place. I use the phrase cultivate the desires of the Spirit. It's another way of saying cultivate the things in us that the Spirit would want for us. So there, there was a Scottish pastor in the 1800s. His name was Thomas Chalmers. And uh, he had a sermon that he was well known for. It's, it's kind of a, uh, an interesting title. It's, not a, it's got a word in it that we don't use a whole lot in, in our time. But the name of the sermon was The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And the point of, of his sermon was that to experience freedom from sin, it is not enough to just turn away from it. You actually have to exchange that sin with a new love. You have to replace that thing with a, a new affection, and that is what comes through the gospel. Here's how he says it. He says, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. One taste may be made to give way to another and to lose its power entirely as the reigning affection of the mind.
think about the ways in which I sin, the ways in which I struggle, and I really try to do the work of like, okay, what's underneath some of what maybe I would call a... That sort of acceptance and approval, and we do that through affirmation, and, and that comes through things like social media, through relationships, whether that's a dating relationship or a friendship or even our own marriages and, and, and parenting, we can seek approval and affirmation from those, those places. Some of us seek that, that approval and affirmation through achieving success, you know, through our work, climbing the ladder. Our greatest nightmare for those of us who are approval junkies is to be rejected. And others often feel smothered by us because of that or flattered by us because of that. So what do we do with something like that? Um, and you can put whatever you want in that, that blank, but, but if we were to talk about the issue of approval, when we become aware of that and become aware of the sinful ways that we are seeking approval, what do we do when the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin? How do we respond? Chalmers just said it. He said it's not enough to just modify our behavior. It's not enough to just say, I'm a sinner. It, 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 he says that you have to do something else. You have to replace or exchange that sin with something greater, something better in the gospel. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 13 as well. To defeat sin, you have to both choose not to act upon your sinful desires while at the same time choose to cultivate the desires of the Spirit. So what does that look like? Well, if you've struggled with approval, you know you need to repent of your need for that, you, you do that. That's the first step. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Will you forgive me for seeking approval in the wrong ways? But then you have to replace that by preaching to your heart. Remember we talked last week about preaching to our hearts this truth. And this can be in the form of, of confession, in the form of prayer, uh, uh, saying to, to this in your gospel community, in your D group, the one whose opinion matters most in my life is already settled. Preaching that truth to my heart. Preaching the truth. Or that I could ever do to make you love me any less. See, it is God's verdict. If, if you struggle with approval, it's God's verdict. Your Father in Heaven's approval that solves your need for earthly approval. When you truly bring that kind of love into your heart, you find a peace and a security like no other. It begins to atrophy in your life. It's the power of a new affection. It's what Paul is talking about here in verse 13. That's what Chalmers... from sin comes from new affections. Now look with me, if you would, beginning in verse 14. Paul just showed us how new affections can help us fight sin and even kill sin. Now he's going to talk to us about another thing that is new in the life of a Christian that can help us defeat temptation and sin in our lives. And it's this, it's a new relationship. Look there at, at verse 14. Here's what Paul says. Spirit of God are sons of God. Notice what Paul is doing here. 
he is saying that the beauty of God's grace is not just that believers are not punished for their sins, and that's amazing and merciful and gracious on God's part, but as you are forgiven and redeemed of that sin, you are brought into something. You actually become a part of God's family. God becomes your dad, becomes your father. You're no longer a spiritual orphan. You've been brought into this spiritual family and this idea of being a part of God's family is so beautiful that Paul wants to go even further and make it even more vivid for us so that we see how impactful it can be for us. Look look at verse 15. Paul starts with what is no longer true. There is no longer a spirit of slavery leading you to fall back into fear. What does that mean? It means that that, that, that our old relationship with God, the way that we related to God, is never coming back. Guys, that's good news. It's the good news of the gospel. The power of sin, the power of the law has been broken. Now, again, yes, as God's children, we are going to continue to fall. We're going to grieve God's heart. But what, what Paul is wanting to remind us of here is that there is now a family bond of love and grace because you're one of God's kids. Paul goes on to say that we have been received in this new relationship by way of adoption. Now, why does Paul use that here, that word here? Here's at least in part what I think Paul is doing. Every child that is adopted has a different set of genes than their adoptive parents, right? Biologically, they're not connected. or daddy. It's a word of intimacy. It's a word of close relationship. Here's why Paul is doing this. The fact that God is no longer our judge, but instead our father changes everything about how you and I should understand him and relate to him. And don't miss the centrality of the spirit here as well. The text says not just that we've been adopted and we cry out, Abba, Father, It says that we've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry this this truth out. So again, the spirit continues to be central in our experience of adoption. In fact, as we come to verse 16, we see that it is the spirit who bears witness with our spirit that we actually are the children of God. Friends, this is one of the greatest gifts that God gives through his spirit. A deep and tangible confirmation in our spirits that we are his We're saved, that we are secure, we're loved. And then Paul goes even further in verse 17 to say that not only are we God's children, but we're his heirs. Think about that for just a moment. In the earthly realm, heirs are not natural heirs. But to be adopted by God also means that what belongs to God now belongs to you. Can you wrap your head around that? Your heart? I, I, I have a hard time. Believing that this is is true, but then Paul goes even further Paul also calls us fellow heirs with Christ This means that what God has promised to Jesus. He also promises to us Listen, this means that our inheritance is not just the blessings of God, but the blessings that are due to Christ himself It's unbelievable really 
And Paul goes on to say that this promise is related to what the future holds for God's adopted children. The sons of God, the daughters of God will be glorified. Our future is secure. We are alive. We've been adopted. We're able to fight sin, even defeat sin. And one day, you and I will be ushered into glory because God's grace is going to see us all the way through to that. Here's the second thing I want to invite you to see this evening. Freedom from sin comes from a new relationship. And here's why this is so important for you if you're a Christian here tonight. Many of you see God as judge and not father. Now, God is judge. We've said in this series already that our own sin condemns us and And when we choose sin, we become guilty before God. When he says that we are sinful, that judgment is fair. God is a God of justice. But unfortunately, in our relationship with God and in our experience of God, many of us only see God or experience God as a God of justice, as judge. And and, and maybe you wouldn't even use those words or articulate it that way, but you uh, relate to God uh, as if, you know, he's going to get on to you if you get out of line. Many of us see God that way, but Paul is saying here, friends, if you're a believer tonight, there is a new relationship when you become one of God's spiritual children. You now have a spiritual father. You now have a dad spiritually and I promise you, we didn't arrange this at all, but we sang Good, Good Father a while ago, and you actually heard Andrea say this. That might have been in her prayer, that many of us, in our relationship with our earthly fathers affected how we think about our heavenly father. And, and Paul is, is trying to say here, like, you, in your new position with God and relationship with God, you now have a dad who will never let you down. You have a dad who's never going to leave you, a dad who's never going to forsake you. Yes, it's good to see God as a just uh, judge, but to see God as dad, as father, it changes everything. I once heard um, Pastor Matt Chandler um, say something in a sermon uh, on this topic, and uh, I just, I'm going to quote it, I'm going to read it as is because it's so good. But uh, here's what Matt said once. He said, I don't want to go camping with the judge. I don't want to have dinner with the judge. I don't want to throw the ball with the judge. I don't want to go see a movie with the judge. I don't want to hang out with the judge. But dad, man, I want to camp with dad. I want to go see a movie with dad. I want to go on vacation with dad. I want to hang out with dad. I want to hear what dad has to say. I want dad to hear what I have to say. I want dad. And then he goes on to say this. When you begin to see God in this way, it changes everything because it changes your mind from the good, right, just judge into Abba, Father. Paul is saying here that if you have a poor relationship with your earthly father or if you've only experienced a God who is far off and transcendent, a God of justice, uh, you perceive him as judge, he's saying you 
can now have a relationship with God that is filled with the confidence and the intimacy that a little child has when a parent they trust completely runs into their arms. Paul is saying that you can trust your heavenly father that way. Paul is actually saying that the father is the one that you've been looking for to give you that. God is the one that you've been looking for in everything. That's why the verse 15, Paul says, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. See, this new relationship is meant to root that out. You remember the story of the prodigal son, right? The son comes to his father after squandering everything and he says, I'm going to come back to you and if, if I can just be one of your servants. And actually he couldn't even get the sentence out before the father stopped him. And he said, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. What the father did in that moment for his son was saying, I am not going to ever, I never have related to you as an employee to an employer. He's saying, we never have and we never will relate to one another to the degree that you perform for me. My love for you is unconditional. It always has been. That's why I've been looking for you at the end of the road every day. That's why I ran to you. You've never stopped being my son. You came back thinking that you, I could never take you back that way. Maybe I would take you back as one of our hired hands. He says, you've always been my son. The fact is that the father was relating to his son as if he had never not been his son. Friend, that is what the father God says to you tonight. When we become spiritual sons and spiritual daughters, God looks at us and says, you are accepted in spite of your performance. Paul is saying here that the Spirit's job is to come and to show you this and to confirm this for you, that you have a good, good father, a father who loves you. And as we were saying earlier, it's, it's who he is. And because of this relationship, you now have the ability to say no to sin. You're going to begin to find yourself wanting to say no to sin. Freedom from sin comes from that new relationship. And because of this relationship, your affections begin to get stirred for him in such a way that it surpasses anything this world has to offer. Freedom from sin comes from new affections as well. In 21, God says, I am making all things new. The truth about that passage is that God has always been doing that. God has always been in the in the business of doing new things. And God desires to do a new thing in you tonight. Freedom from sin comes from a new relationship. Freedom from sin comes from new affection. God says, I'm making all things new, even tonight for you. And friend, he is doing that. If you'll receive it. Let's pray together.